All right, we're welcoming in our guest now. Today we are joined by the director of the Pro Tour, Jeff Spring. Jeff, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Good to be on. I know we've tried to connect before and happy to join you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's uh, it's been a long time coming, and certainly now is a, is a great time more than ever. So we're we're here in the wake of obviously some recent big changes in pro tour policy, and that's one of the main things we're going to discuss today. But before we hop into that, you know, I just want to ask you: when you signed on as tour director, um, and times were obviously a lot different then, did you ever foresee that your biggest challenge would come not from growing the sport of disc golf and creating a sustainable tour, but from becoming the spearhead of this battle for? competitive fairness? Absolutely not. You know, I, I think that this is a merging topic um, that hadn't yet ramped up to a level of concern um, at the place it's at now. Um, so it's certainly become a challenge, but, you know, uh, I did know that, you know, if we're going to grow the sport into a uh, um, you know, high level emerging sport, and our vision is to push to the top of the emerging sport pile and, and, you know, kind of make waves and, and, you know, basically the, the big sports even, um, cause that's our belief that where disc golf can go. Um, you know, I knew that there were going to be a lot of unforeseen challenges. Um, so, you know, I just look at, you know, the issues that we, we deal with, whether it's, it's this one or, or new ones that pop up, you know, pretty recurringly, um, as, as part of the job, part of what we, um, signed up for when we became, you know, kind of the disc golf pro tour team, that's me and, and all of our staff, which, you know, we've, we've got a pretty big team now. So, yeah, yeah, certainly. And it's certainly been a, a big battle to undertake. So before any of these recent policy changes were made, whether it be the first announcement or this most recent one, obviously the catalyst for them, um, as cited by the pro tour was multiple legal battles, racking up very expensive fees. Um, how desperate was the financial situation for the pro tour to warrant immediate changes during the course of the season rather than at the end of it? Yeah, it certainly was concerning. You know, there was um, the need to take uh, an unavoidable step to limit, you know, the financial burden. Um, but, you know, we want to continue to be uh, an area of growth for disc golf. I think that we've all seen that post-COVID, we've experienced a little bit of a plateau here um, for the entire industry. And, and normally the industry is growing between, you know, 15 and 25 percent non-COVID years depending on the sector, whether it's, you know, manufacturing or, or media, um, you know, retail sales, um, that obviously jumped up to like 250, 300% COVID. And now we've kind of plateaued and, um, you know, I think it's, uh, hard to tell exactly what the growth metrics are right now. We've, we have this huge surge of people. We've kept most of them. Um, we've lost some of them and, and, you know, the growth continues. New people find out about disc golf all the time. Um, we feel that the Disc Golf Pro Tour can be part of the solution for the next huge phase of growth um, through media partnerships and, you know, just putting disc golf at the professional level in front of more eyeballs. And, you know, we want to make sure that, that that core part of our mission is intact. Um, and when we feel that, you know, there may be an issue where um, financially we would have to go backwards or, uh, consider more drastic cuts. Um, you know, we need to, you know, be financially responsible. Um, so that kind of sums up, you know, kind of the position we're in. Um, you know, we can't afford um, really to see 
the potential of multiple more cases, you know, potentially at once um, filed. And, you know, it was just a, a point in the year where we, we had to stand back and say, um, you know, we need to take immediate action. Um, that action created an inflection point, um, which we're able to bring in a lot of our stakeholders um, and hear from them, you know, decide, um, you know, was the plan that we put in place um, going to be able to be implemented well? Uh, was it going to be effective for our partners, our stakeholders, our players? Um, and that was kind of the conversation um, since that announcement. Um, but hopefully that gives you a good sense of kind of the, the financial picture from from our perspective. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, the burden of of creating a sustainable tour for disc golf is already quite an expense, and it's come a long way, but uh, certainly the additional legal expenses would make things difficult. So the first announcement that was made um, – you know, prior to this one, now the initial policy change, and this was talking about this. There was a lot of uncertainty in it, but it was citing the the uh, issues with finances and basically the pro tour events that were going to be considered a potential issue for legal risk were canceled with the um, the hope that they would be rescheduled. And so this this policy, when it first was announced, was a lot more. Um, abrupt and a lot more harsh, I guess you could say, than the, the new one that has since come out. Was this policy, you know, why was this policy ever made, you know, this announcement made, um, if this one that has now been announced ever had potential of following up? And do you regret rushing to that first decision, um, knowing that there was possibility this next one coming, or was this new one not formed yet at all? Yeah, I mean, the new one wasn't formed yet really at all. Um, it came out of like over um, 10 days of <laughs> long, long talks with a lot of players and partners. Um, and, you know, going back to the to the first one, I mean, the, the pattern um, of the legal challenges that we've seen are kind of these, this last minute tactic to, um, you know, within, you know, 10 days of an event or less. Um, to mount a legal challenge, which um, is is not normal order. Um, you know, that is these aren't necessarily emergency um, situations, which you know the TROs that we're facing, you know, are supposed to be an emergency injunction. You know, we have had this policy in place since December of last year, and there's plenty of time um, to bring suit and, and figure out, um, you know, how to proceed. Um, you know, if there is a challenge there, um, the, the tactic, um, that's been being used, you know, is, um, is just one that kind of created a, a situation where it's necessary and unavoidable to just move forward, um, at that point in time, uh, with that announcement. And so, you know, the, uh, we were certainly looking for solutions. I think that long-term, um, you know, potentially this could evolve into a, a different division, potentially, um, which I think as we go into the off season and look at, you know, refinements and, and creating a solution that's that's really going to be durable for long term, which this this may be, we're hoping that this is, um, we're working uh, ideally with the PDJ to get that division made in the off season. So, you know, if that's able to happen, I think that that's, um, that's probably best case scenario, but, but we'll see, um, in terms of, you know, kind of the, basically walking back, um, the, the cancellations and restoring the events. Um, we just found over the course of the, the 10 days that, um, 
it was the best case scenario um, because the inflection point created a, a moment that we could either go further apart or, or come together. And I feel that everyone wanted to really come together and have an opportunity to move forward together. And I know this is an incredibly divisive issue. So coming together and listening, learning, watching what happens with the United Series is, uh, is hopefully going to keep people's minds open because there are entrenched positions on both sides of this. Um, people that truly believe for many, many reasons that they're truly right about what they believe. Um, and I think that just moving forward where we have a, the ability to implement both eligibility policies that we've been implementing um, means that we could, uh, you know, see people maybe just soften up and just look at what's going on, think about the potential for the future, really understand that, that respect is, is the top line here. Uh, we got to respect the people involved in this on both sides, respect their opinions, listen to them, take down the rhetoric. Um, so that inflection point really created a path where we could see what happens. Now, you know, coming together, you know, that's what we're trying to do. But we know that the polarized ends of this don't, you know, they, they don't necessarily see this as a compromise they want, you know, it, but it is, right. it, it is for a lot of people, a compromise they want. And so, you know, there's a silent majority, I think, on this that understands um, the situation. And, um, you know, that's kind of why we had to kind of make kind of these disparate um, statements. But the first one, you know, we didn't know what would happen after that. We had plans. We had courses. We had a lot of people reaching out saying, come here, come there. Um, but as, as we got into it and saw another path, uh, we pivoted listen to uh to the players and, and a lot of this was through fbo player feedback yeah do you think that if the first um if this new plan had been devised sooner and you could have avoided that initial announcement would this plan have landed easier than it maybe has especially amongst the the fan perception yeah i you know it's hard to project but i i don't I don't know. I, I don't think it would necessarily land any easier. Um, I feel that, you know, we're, we're seeing the reaction, you know, that generally we were hoping uh, for and expected, you know, is that um, nobody, nobody wins. So everybody's a little unhappy, but there are elements uh, that people can say, I've got uh, something carved out for me that I care about and I can keep fighting, keep advocating for that point of view. So, you know, and I, I don't think if we, you know, f came to this solution, um, you know, earlier that it may have, you know, been understood that this is a necessary compromise for everyone. Um, you know, I think that the path that led us here, um, you know, was a learning experience for everyone. I mean, this, we're on the kind of the bleeding edge of this issue in sport um, and, and a lot of what I'd like to do. Um, is get off of that bleeding edge and focus on disc golf, move forward with our tour in the sport where this is obviously still an important and a crucial issue and number one priority for some people. But for the tour, it just it can't remain the number one priority constantly. Um, we need to focus on the sport, our great athletes growing the game. And this can be an important topic that we address. Um, but we we believe that you know, at this point from our experience and without that experience, you know, of, of, you know, seeing what's happened, um, you know, in court, uh, I, I don't think that we would be informed the same way. I don't think the public would be informed the same way. 
Um, so it's, it's really hard to project, but you know, I think that we, we are always led by what doing what we think is right. You know, um, you know, number one, respect number two, in this case, a full tour for the FPO division. Um, and number three, you know, competitive fairness. Um, uh, so I think that, you know, that result of, you know, that we've, we've found now, uh, is kind of baked into, you know, the journey that we've had this year. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that we would go back and try to do anything differently. We're, we're kind of all moving forward and learning, you know, together on this, on this new issue. Okay. Yeah, sure. So you mentioned the devices, the divisiveness of this issue and just the idea that disc golf is on the leading edge. So I can see how the previous announcement, you know, it was, it certainly came down and surprised a lot of people. Uh, it was tough to see if one side was happy and the other wasn't. Um, but you kind of said it too. And with this new announcement and this middle ground, you almost have this scenario now where it feels like, um, neither side is completely happy, but maybe you found a point where both sides are unhappy, but not boiling over unhappy is the best compromise in this situation. Just that where you have both sides, maybe not completely satisfied, but in a place where you can let things get figured out and just keep things stagnant for now. I, I think you're right on with that one, Trevor, because the, the outcome that I think that if you if you are on the end and maybe entrenched on one side or the other, the outcome that you know that you have to grapple with right now is that if either end of this like fully wins, I, I don't see a great path to having you know a full tour for the FPO or like a positive outcome um, for the division, honestly, because you know it, it just if you if you game it out and, and look at you know the the challenges that would would come with that they're significant um on on both ends so you know this is where we felt we had to lead and say like the 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 facts on the ground you know are clearly pointing to a compromise and if either side wins you know it would be an immense challenge for the division um, to continue in a productive way um, with all the elements that we need to make a successful tour um, which is you know ability to schedule freely in any state um, you know, ability to have uh, great partners, ability to, um, you know, focus on the game and not um, a bunch of, you know, social media rhetoric, um, ability to, uh, you know, make sure that everyone uh, can be included in, in some way, shape or form. And I think that um, this solution is, is the way that we see things being able to go forward as this broad cultural issue goes you know, to courts that are, you know, big courts, larger sports, you know, international sports. Um, and the, the weight of this resolution on the disc golf industry, um, you know, my concern is that if we aren't smart about how we address this, um, it could, it could have really long-term damaging impacts on the growth of the professional industry. So, um, you know, this is the path that we feel, um, we'll give everybody a little bit of, you know, half of what they want and, you know, continue to be able to advocate for what they believe in. 
Yeah. So the Pro Tour, I think one of the heaviest criticisms that has come from the newest announcement is that the Disc Golf Pro Tour has assumed the stance, and you have assumed the stance um, in in previous matters, that they you are standing by your policy, that you believe heavily in what you have found with competitive fairness, um, and that what you had enforced previously was what you believed to be um, – you know, what you thought was fair for the FPO division. Now, since this new announcement, there has been people that have criticized the Pro Tour of essentially walking back or going back and reversing what they had said previously. Um, But then you also mentioned the idea that the Pro Tour is maybe kind of waiting things out, waiting for other sports with more resources to figure this out so that things can be enforced later down the line. So my question is simply, does the Pro Tour still believe in what they have stood by previously with competitive fairness. And if things do get solved um, in larger courts and with larger resources down the line, will the pro tour still stand by those, uh, those policies and enact them as soon as possible? Yeah, we, we, we do stand by our belief that um, the gender eligibility policy as applied at C3 is necessary to ensure competitive fairness at this time. Um, you know, we're doing further scientific study. We're commissioning, you know, more research to be done, um, you know, and without getting into the nuts and the bolts of, you know, peer-reviewed scientific research, you know, I'll just point to other organizations that are also sharing, you know, the policy that we have that are bigger than us, World Athletics, World Aquatics. Um, just recently, the day we, you know, kind of announced the uh, relocation of events, um, UCI, which is the international governing association of cycling announced that um, they were, you know, adopting kind of on an emergency basis, the same, uh, the same policy that we've applied so far this year. So, you know, in international sporting, um, I think that there's, there's precedent being set that this is, um, you know, if you don't have this policy in place, that it's a, it's a risk to the female category of sport in general. Now we have to square that up with, the, the um, results that we've seen in California and Minnesota so far. And, uh, you know, our organization will respect, you know, state laws. And I think that when we made our first announcement saying, hey, um, we can't proceed, you know, so right now we're going to cancel and relocate, it was born of that, uh, like a recognition that, you know, if we're seeing similar liability um, to those two states um, in other states, then, you know, why, you know, bang our head against the wall, even if the, the larger organizations that I mentioned um, and sporting like those larger organizations, by the way, are handing out over half the medals in uh, the Summer Olympics for the IOC. Um, and this is all kind of started when the IOC put out a new framework and um, it, it's caused a lot of challenges across these sports. Right. But, uh, you know, even if the, these sports and, and you know these the big Olympic sports are 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 having the same policy that we have, uh, we have to reconcile that difference with with state law. Um, and the first announcement was trying to do that and saying like, hey, if we expect to get similar you know results, and, and let me just stop right there and say like none of these have gone to trial yet. So like we'll we'll see how they progress. Um, we believe that. Um, you know, the public accommodation law in, in Minnesota has a sports exception that um, does say that you can, you know, div- create a female division, basically. Uh, but that seemed to not really be part of the initial ruling. We feel like it will be part of the full ruling. Um, and we'll see, you know, but at the bottom line is we're going to respect, you know, the state court's judges' decisions. 
Um, and if we feel that that's going to be, um, you know, something that we have as a liability going forward, we need to make a change. Now, uh, part of that change is, you know, we could either go further apart by saying, you know, we are going to look down the road at 2024 and reorganize the entire tour. That was the kind of big talking point, if that makes sense, uh, Trevor, like between, you know, us and the FBO players is like, we're, we're talking about the heart of the FPO tour, the heart of the disc golf pro tour. You know, we'd be basically ripping the heart out of the schedule for the FBO tour next year. If we proceeded with the relocation um, strategy. So, you know, I don't think that uh, it was viable and what that informed is a change to, you know, and this is kind of back to the other question, like, why did this change? Well, we looked ahead and said, what if we keep doing this? Wasn't palatable. It really wasn't palatable, you know, it, and it wasn't fair to the FPO competitors. So we, we said, hey, listen, instead of going that route, pulling things further apart, risking, you know, more, let's move forward together. Because at the end of the day, um, and this is getting to your other part of the question here, um, which is, you know, whether you know, we will continue to follow this. I, I really think that in sports, the solution hasn't been found yet. You know, I, I believe that uh, transgender women should have a viable division to play in, should have a full field, and should even have opportunities um, at, at times to play with uh, females as well. Um, however, I do believe that the female division needs to be protected, the female category as well. And I think that we're going to watch and wait and, and learn from this um, and see what kind of solution comes out of it. Because, you know, we're not changing our stance on, on competitive fairness. Um, and the only thing that would do that is if we, we continue to look at the science and there seems to be, um, you know, a clear way to ensure competitive fairness, right? Um, that, that's, yeah. that's not apparent currently. And um, I feel that, you know, that said, we spent two years before this, um, you know, putting out community guidelines, um, protecting trans women from harassment on site and online and celebrating their accomplishments equally. Um, you know, we are an inclusive organization. Uh, we don't believe in discrimination. Um, we, you know, really object any of the social media comments or any hateful language. Our community guidelines, we feel, are very progressive. I'm from Vermont. You know, I, I'm a progressive-minded person. You know, I believe that, um, you know, equality is, is very important. These are core values to our organization, and, and no one is trying to, um, you know, do anything but, you know, respect and, and create opportunities you know, for everyone. We're in a transition period. I think people need to understand that not just for disc golf, but for all of sport. Our solution right now is fairly unique. And I think that we'll learn from it and we need to learn and listen. But, um, you know, back to that, that second part of your question, we do need to preserve um, space and competitive fairness for the female category in, in disc golf. And that's something that we are dedicated to. We're going to see how it evolves. And, um, beyond that, you know, I can't predict the future. I think that we're open to listening, learning, creating space, you know, protecting trans women and making sure that they're celebrated equally. And, and in these events, the policy provides that everyone eligible 
is playing on that eligibility requirement. It's a fair playing field. And I would say to your audience, any audience, that the eligibility requirements now at United Series events allow for trans women to play. They should be able to play, be celebrated um, equally, um, and be free of any harassment, hate, or bigotry. Um, that's our stance. That's what we've done for two years before this policy change. Um, and I think that it's really important not to, not, not to go to the edges, the polarized edges, and let the silent majority, who I believe you know, shares this opinion, um, you know, kind of speak up and say, listen, like, let's take the temperature down. Let's move forward reasonably. Um, we can all coexist together. Um, we all have some protected space. Um, and let's just move forward. That's, that's the whole thrust behind the United Series. Yeah. So you mentioned the eligibility criteria for the United Series. And I was wondering, how did the Pro Tour arrive at the decision? Um, so obviously, the, the decision made was that one of the three criteria outlined in the PDGA's eligibility policy would need to be met to compete in that series. What was the decision making process to arrive at that one out of three? Well, it's actually C1, C2, or C3. And if, if folks want to go online to the PDGA's gender eligibility policy, they can read a little bit more about the details of each of those. Um, our policy throughout this season has been that um, you need to meet the criteria in C3 of that policy now, which does allow for transgender competition. So it's, it's not a ban on transgender competition at all. Um, you just need to transition before the effects of male puberty. Um, and the other um, two, C, C2 and C1 of the policy, you know, are, are less strict. So we're basically allowing um, more participation um, of transgender women in FPO if we're allowing C2 and C1. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So the one thing I wanted to, to ask about was with these decisions – Obviously, the FPO division and the entire FPO field is is being affected greatly by these. You know, there's we have a large FPO traveling tour at this point. And in the first decision, you know, we saw certain players voice their support. This new decision, the the press release features quotes from many of the top players. My question is, how uh, deeply involved are the FPO players and how much have they been involved in these decisions? Has there been meetings with them? How many of them have been reached out to? Um, how big of a part did that play in this new policy? Well, the first announcement, there is, there is no warning. It was, you know, confidential. Um, we felt there was high liability. We had to make the announcement. The, the second announcement, um, again, we spent, you know, 10 days in con continual meetings um, with folks uh, represented on both ends of the issue. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that it's um, a secret that different players in the FBO division have different takes on this issue. So, you know, there's, there's folks um, that, you know, believe that we should operate at C1, uh, 2, and 3 consistently, and there's folks that believe that we should operate at C3, you know, with an eye to competitive fairness consistently. Um, what I found after basically, you know, I, I feel like, I, you know, our administration, you know, my position's in a unique spot because we, we take in all the information, um, you know, from our, our stakeholders, you know, the players, you know, our, our you know, business 
uh, health. And, and so basically we were able to share transparently, giving all that information to the FPO players, they basically all on both ends arrived at the same conclusion that we were arriving at, which is the United series is a way to move forward, not just in, to enable the restoration of these events, but as a potential durable long-term solution where not everybody's happy. We could look at it glass half full, glass half empty. Um, but, you know, if we look at it glass half full, we can also hopefully tamp down the division uh, on this. And, and it was so it was kind of like co-created in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we had a couple options on the table and it, it felt like, you know, both ends of the issue said, you know, this is this is the way forward. Um, <laughs> you know, and obviously some folks, um, if the situation wasn't what it was, some folks wish that we could, you know, continue with the policy as it was. Some folks wish we could revert entirely. Um, but I think that this solution allows for, you know, a future. Um, and, and hopefully, I know not everyone maybe will, will, will rally around it, but I think the majority of people will rally uh, around this um, and, you know, come, come together and, and, and move forward. And that's our hope. Yeah, so along with the FPO division, and you mentioned um, stakeholders and other people involved in a decision, you know, the Pro Tour is the official touring, you know, it's the official Pro Tour of the PDGA that's listed at the top of the press release that's very much a part of the Pro Tour's identity right now. Um, with that relationship, how much uh, say does the PDGA have in this? Are they a big part of these decisions as well, you know, seeing that their policy is being used in reference? Um, and how much does that become a part of the solution? Yeah, we're different organizations. We make different decisions, um, but you know, certainly need to confer with each other um, on from time to time, especially regarding rules. You know, not just eligibility policy, but the PDJ is the governing body of the sport, and and they have created the gender eligibility rules that we're working within. Um, and uh, you know, we've we've certainly conferred with them, letting them know you know what our steps were going to be on this, um, and. Uh, I, that said, you know, we, we have to make the right decisions for our organization. So, um, and, and they have to make the right yeah. ones for theirs. Yeah, certainly. So, so Jeff, obviously, you know, with all this going on, a ton of tough decisions have been made. Um, a lot of decisions that have shocked people, um, upset some people as the director of the pro tour. And as this is going to move forward, what is just the one statement you would say to all the fans who are kind of in a bit of unrest right now, not really sure what the future of the sport is going to look like or what the pro tour is hoping to accomplish. What would you say to all those fans right now who are just kind of confused and a little bit in unrest or maybe unhappy? Uh, I would have to say, let's get back to disc golf. Um, let's focus on the sport. Let's focus on the great athletes. Um, we've been able to restore these events to their original locations. We've got a great schedule coming up. And wherever you fall on this issue, realize it's bigger than the sport. Advocate it. Advocate for it in your, your state legislature, whatever you believe in, because that's where it's going to be decided. We cannot override state courts. We're going to respect state laws. So advocate. You can continue to advocate and believe. But, but know that if you bring you know, this issue fully into disc golf, it's, it's, it's a separate issue than just disc golf, right? It goes bigger. So like, let's get back to disc golf. Understand that this issue transcends the sport, that it will be continual, 
and that we can choose to, now that we have a path forward, we can choose to say, you know what? Don't agree with the United series, but um, you know what? I, I can support the FBO players here. I, I want, you know, I can support, uh, you know, the, the athletes that I, I like. Um, and I know that there's, you know, events that have um, the version of the policy that I believe in. Um, or you could say, hey, I really don't think that, um, I think the United Series should be spread across the country. And I want to advocate for that. People can continue to do that, but they still have parts of, of what they want, they believe in. And that's going to allow everybody to just focus on disc golf, move forward together. Most of us, some people may be on, again, on the polarized ends won't. Um, so I know you said one message, but that's the background of my one message is like, uh, let's get back to disc sure. golf um, and let this be that bigger issue that it is societally go outside of disc golf and fight about it, um, you know, which is happening. And, um, you know, we'll do our best as a pro tour to, to create um, outcomes that allow us to focus on the game as well. Um, knowing that we're going to follow our, our, our core values, um, which we believe can be applied to both ends of this conversation equally. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Well, and, and at foundation, we can definitely agree with, uh, with this, within this entire situation. Uh, we certainly don't like seeing, um, people going up against each other, getting ugly, you know, the personal attacks, that's something that we definitely don't want to see. Um, and hopefully things will play out, um, on a bigger stage, hopefully, uh, and then we can move forward with that. But anyways, Jeff, that's all I have for you today. I really appreciate you joining the show and uh, kind of clearing some things up and speaking to the audience and, and giving them a little insight into all your decision-making as of late. Yeah, super happy to be able to join uh, join your show and, and speak to your audience and, and hope to come back and, and talk about um, some more stuff soon. <laughs>